You're listening to the teaching podcast of The Crossing Church. We exist so that the real you can have a daily encounter with the real Jesus in word and deed. For more information about our church, visit crossingparagold.com. David. It starts in verse 1, all together. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the Larkers Valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Father, thank you so much for an opportunity we have to come together again today to sing songs to you, to behold your beauty, to listen to what you have to say to us through your scriptures. Holy Spirit, I pray right now that you would drive this deep into our hearts, that Jesus, today, everybody would would be able to say with confidence, the Lord is my shepherd. I ask all this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. Several years ago, I was awakened from my sleep in the middle of the night by a sound that was coming from our kitchen. I knew it wasn't my wife, because she was laying right beside me. I knew it wasn't my daughter. She was only one year old at the time, and our boys had not uh, been born. And so the first thing that came to my mind is, there is an intruder in our home. There is somebody here with bad intentions. And so I did what any man would do. I woke up my wife and asked her if she could go check it out. And so I'm trying to get her to, to, you know, be quiet. Of course, when I wake her up, I don't know if you're this way, but I'm like, Megan. And she's like, huh? I'm like, shh, Megan. Like, there's somebody in the house. And she's like, I hear it. Like, like, like what are we going to do? And so I, I, I eventually kind of like decide I'm going to roll over and I grab this 12 gauge shotgun that I had by our bed and it didn't have any shells in it. So I knew that wasn't going to be helpful. So I began to scrummage around. It took me probably what felt like 15 minutes to finally find a shell. Megan told me this morning, she was thinking like, we're going to die. Like, there's no doubt about it. Like, we're all dead. And so I put the shell on the gun. And I don't know if you knew this, but just because you cock a gun slowly doesn't mean it's going to be quietly. And so, like, I go to cock it, like, you're like, right, like, really, really loud. And I'm like, okay, this guy, whoever he is, like, he knows now that I've got a gun. He's probably got every knife in our kitchen drawer ready to throw at my face. Like, he's armed. Like, this is not going to be good. And so I then roll off the bed, try to make it quiet, but apparently we have the most creaky mattress in the world. And so roll off the bed. I began to walk to the door, which was kind of, uh, you know, half open, half closed. And I'm telling you, man, like, my heart was pounding. Like, my adrenaline was pumping. Like, if my grandma would have jumped out, I would have blown her away. Like, I was just like, I was just like, man, anything that moves, like, it's going down. And so, like, I, I go to the door, and I, and I use the barrel of the gun to kind of crack it open just a little bit. And then I go to flip on the light switch to reveal what exactly awaits me. And when I flip on the light switch, uh, what I notice is not an intruder. It's not a robber, it's not a bad guy, but it's Tirza. Tirza was our dog at the time. And so we thought we'd close the crate, we didn't close the crate, and Tirza was rummaging through our trash, eating leftovers from our dinner. And so, needless to say, 
sigh of relief. I did go back to bed, but I don't think I slept a wink the rest of the night because my body was just still like traumatized by what I thought was going to happen. And the reason I share that story is just to say this. When it comes to life, we all have these moments that are dark and scary. Uh, We all have these moments where we worry about our safety or our well-being, not just for ourselves, but maybe for those that we love. And it's in these dark and scary moments where we don't know what awaits us on the other side of the door, when we don't know what the future holds, or maybe even worse, we know what the future holds, and we're like, man, I don't think I have what it takes to make it through, not if, but when this thing happens. It's in these moments we quickly realize that the control that we think we have in life is really all just an illusion. You know, you can eat all the right foods, and you can do all the right exercises, but it doesn't mean you're going to be healthy and live a long life. Uh, You can love somebody really, really well, and it doesn't mean they're always going to be there to love you back. You can do everything you can in your power to raise your kids and do all of the right things, and they still end up going wayward. And despite this being a reality, I think all of us know up in here, deep down inside, we still, for the most part, try to control the uncontrollable. Which is why I would say there are many people, maybe even this room today, that are too scared to even rest. I mean, yes, like maybe your body stops, but your mind still continues to run a million miles per hour with all of the cares and the concerns of the world. And you see, because God knows this is true, because God himself wants to give you a deep and lasting rest, no matter what is going on around you, he gives us Psalm 23. If John 3.16 is the most popular verse in the Bible. I would say that Psalm 23 is the most famous chapter in the Bible. Psalm 23 is quoted in movies like Jarhead, True Grit, Titanic, Elephant Man, Dangerous Minds, The Book of Eli, Deep Blue Sea, and many more. It's been used in songs by U2, Tupac, Kanye West, and probably most famously, Coolio's Gangster's Paradise. Right? As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I take it, right? You guys know what I'm talking about? It was the number one best-selling, I will not do that, uh, but <laughs> the number one best-selling single in 1995. On the night of 9-11, after the deadliest terrorist attack in American history that left 3,000 people dead, President Bush, when addressing our nation, quoted Psalm 23. It's a psalm that you've probably heard preached at funerals. It's one of Uh, probably one of the most impactful psalms in my life. Uh, And if you look back with me, it's a psalm that starts with these words that almost seem to be out of touch with reality. King David says, The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. Or as your translation might say, I have all that I need. And if you hear that, you might be like, Well, that's easy for David to say. He was a king. He had whatever he wanted, whenever he wanted. He had servants. He had popularity. He had all the money, all of the, you know, the possessions. But here's the thing. If you study David's life, though David certainly had some high highs, he also had some really low lows. He had moments of great victory, but he also had moments of great tragedy. For example, David spent 15 years of his life on the run from King Saul. King Saul was jealous of David. He was envious of David. And so he actually put a bounty on David's life. And so for 15 years, you have David running from him. So for 15 years, he's not even sleeping in his own bed. He's like sleeping in a cave. We also know that David saw his best friend murdered. He had his his daughter was raped. His sons died prematurely. He had to lead a country through a multi-year famine. On top of that, David had some major moral failures. 
I mean, remember the story of David and Bathsheba where he sees Uriah's wife and he's like, she's beautiful, I want her, bring her to me. And so he sleeps with Bathsheba, he ends up accidentally getting her pregnant, and then to cover it up, because he didn't want Uriah to know that he got his wife pregnant, he ends up killing Uriah. So David is a murderer, he is an adulterer. This is a man who knew pain. This is a man who knew struggle and suffering, who knew what it was like to sin and be sinned against. In the words of John of the Cross, David was a man who experienced his own dark night of the soul. This is why K.J. Ramsey in her book, The Lord is My Courage, which is a great book I've been reading on Psalm 23, she says the following, Psalm 23 is a song of the wilderness, of a man who knew what it was like to be hunted, hungry, and hurting. And so, yeah, David had some mountaintop experiences, but he also walked through some really dark valleys. And yet, in the midst of the chaos, he says, I've learned how to be content. In the midst of the pain, I still have learned how to remain at peace. How? Because he says right here, the Lord, the creator of the universe, the God who is the source of all that is good and beautiful and true, that God is my shepherd. And before we can understand what David means when he refers to God as a shepherd, we first need to point out the reality that David implies that if God is our shepherd, then we are all sheep. And if you think that is a compliment, that is probably because when you think of sheep or you think the Lord is our shepherd, you think of this image right here. I'll put it on the screen for you. Uh, there it is. Yeah, right there. If you grew up in the church, this is probably what came to your mind when you think the Lord is my shepherd. You think of a, a, of white American Jesus, right, kneeling by the rose bush, just cuddling a sweet little lamb that seems to have a smile on its face, right? When you think of sheep, you need to get that image out of your mind. Instead, go to the next slide that you're about to put up. Go and watch this video, by the way. This is just a screenshot. We couldn't play the video because of copyright issues. I put the, uh, the, the, the video on the version sermon, no, um, sermon notes. You can access those. But when you think of sheep, think of this. What's happening in this video, which is hilarious, by the way, is this little shepherd boy gets this little sheep uh, unstuck from a ditch. And then right after, if you look on the, on the picture on the right, the sheep is actually running, and it literally jumps right back into the ditch and gets stuck again, like within three seconds of being rescued. That's what sheep do. Sheep are stupid. Sheep are really dumb. They do stuff like jump back into ditches that their shepherd just rescued them from. They're fragile. They're vulnerable and helpless. They're easy prey, right? I mean, you have tigers growl, you know, dogs bark, wolves howl. Sheep just go bad. Like, that's all they do. Sheep are susceptible to attacks and all kinds of diseases. So when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, what is he really saying? Well, he's saying something that most of us aren't willing to admit. And it's that I'm vulnerable. I'm weak. That I'm actually helpless. That I am needy. And therefore, what I really need is a shepherd. And David says, because the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. See, Psalm 23 is an invitation to what Dallas Willard says is a life without lack. He has a whole book called A Life Without Lack, which is a commentary on Psalm 23. Psalm 23 is an invitation to a life where in the words of the Apostle Paul, we can learn to be content in all situations. And therefore, Psalm 23 really is an invitation into the life that you have been longing to experience. You know, the truth is, no matter who you are or where you come from, we all are searching for contentment. 
We're all looking for peace. We're all looking for rest. And to be able to say whether I'm rich or poor, whether I am healthy or unhealthy, whether I'm popular or not popular, successful or not successful, to be able to say with complete integrity that still, in light of all of that, I lack nothing, that I have all that I need, then according to David, he says, if you're ever going to get there, you have to personally know the Lord is your shepherd. So what exactly does that mean? What does David mean when he says, the Lord is my shepherd? And according to Palestinian pastor, Timothy Atik, who knows a lot more about shepherding than I do, he says, when David says, the Lord is my shepherd, there are at least five things the original audience would have known that he meant. Five realities or five truths that if we take these to heart, can help us live with peace rather than panic, no matter the situation that we find ourselves in. And so if you're taking notes, first, to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say, number one, the Lord is my leader. If you look back with me in verse 2, David says that he, speaking of the Lord, makes me lie down in green pastures. He, what, leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides, or again, he leads me along the right path for his name's sake. To say the Lord is my shepherd is to say the Lord is my leader. And to say that the Lord is my leader is to say that I am going to trust God, listen to this, with the path and the pace of my life. To say the Lord is my shepherd is to say that I'm going to trust God with my path, which at first might seem easy, but actually as you start following Jesus, you realize really quickly there are times that he will lead you into places you would have never chosen for yourself. I was speaking with Thea this morning, the, uh, the, the Muslim girl that uh, became a Christian that we baptized here, and she was just talking about how hard it's been to follow after Jesus. That is because, as Jesus himself said in Matthew 7, to follow him is to walk the narrow path. It is a path of sacrifice. It is a path of hardship. It is a path of discipline. It is a path where you will for sure, without a doubt, experience unavoidable loss. But if you will stay on the path, Jesus says, you will enter into an indestructible life. And therefore, to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say, I'm going to choose to walk by faith rather than by sight, even if I'm not feeling it. Even if I'm not seeing how this is for my good, I'm going to continue to follow Jesus even through the dark and difficult seasons of my life, knowing that on the other side of these daily deaths is one massive life. To say the Lord is my shepherd is to say, I'm going to trust Jesus with my path. But it's also to say, I'm going to trust him with my pace. And I'll be honest with you, this is really, really hard for someone like me. Because every personality test I take says that I am a fast mover. I want things done yesterday. Like, I get frustrated when I'm on Netflix, and it's like buffering, and I'm like, why is this buffering? You know, like, I don't want Amazon Prime. Like, I'm the kind of guy that wants Amazon right now. Like, that's what I want. I am not, by nature, a very patient person. And that's a big problem when it comes to my spirituality because what I see in the Bible and from my own experience is God rarely, if ever, seems to be in much of a hurry. As Pastor Tyler Staten puts it, everything significant that God has ever done in the world, it has involved long stretches of waiting. David did not become king until 15 years after he was promised he would be king. 15 years. The Israelites did not inherit the promised land until after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. God, think about this. When God decided to save the world, to rescue the world, to show the fullness of his love, he sent a baby. A baby. 
God didn't arrive on earth as a fully formed adult, but rather, as Matt Canlis points out, the person upon whom our entire salvation depended had to grow. Our salvation was lived at ordinary speed in ordinary places, going face-to-face with ordinary people. Divine love, Canlis says, lives at this speed. And so to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say I'm trusting Jesus with my path and my pace. Even if the relationship is not restored, even if the kid doesn't get healed, even if the prayer doesn't get answered, even if the situation doesn't seem to be getting any better, even if I can't really see a light at the end of the tunnel yet, I'm going to choose to follow Jesus no matter how narrow the path or long the wait. David says, I'm content because I trust the Lord is my shepherd, which means he's my leader. Not only does he believe the Lord is his leader, but to say the Lord is my shepherd is also to say the Lord is my owner. That's the second point. We don't see this necessarily right here, but the original audience absolutely would have known this is true. Jesus himself knew this was true. I'll put this on the screen for you, I believe. But in John 10, verse 10 through 15, Jesus says this. The thief only comes to steal and kill and destroy. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full. Now listen to this. I am, this is Jesus talking, he says, this is who I am. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, however, however, look at this, verse 12. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not what? Own the sheep. So when he sees a wolf coming, he abandons the sheep, he runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is a hired hand, right? He doesn't own it and therefore he doesn't care anything about the sheep. But notice in verse 14, Jesus says, because I own the sheep, right? Because I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep. My sheep know me just as the Father knows me. And I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus says, I own the sheep, unlike the hired hand. And therefore, I care so much about the sheep, I'm willing to lay down my life for them. This is the way it works in society, is it not? Someone who owns something always cares more about that thing than the person they hire to help work and do that thing. Uh, I remember when I was 16 years old, I got my first job at Lakeside Metals, uh, and I worked with a, with another uh, friend of mine by the name of Adam Breckenridge, right? Some of you may re- remember that guy. Um, Adam was, what a cruise, right? Uh, Adam was a good employee for our church for six years. Uh, he didn't even last for six days at Lakeside Metals. He was fired after day four, Okay. And the reason why is because rather than doing the work the owner called us to do, Adam would take these black pieces of, of electrical tape, and he would try to see just how many pieces of black tape he could put on the back of a guy he named Crazy Carl. His real name was Jason. But he would try to see how many pieces of black tape he could put on Crazy Carl's back without Carl knowing it. Okay? That's what Adam spent his time doing. And then he would also speak into this box fan, and he would make noises like Chewbacca. And eventually the owner, like, caught him doing it and was like, okay, you're out of here. And why is that? Because the owner cares so much more, typically, than the hired hand, right? The, the, the hired hand, typically, is like, I'm just here for a paycheck. I'm just here to see, like, what's the least I can do and get by? I'm just kind of working for the weekend. But the owner has a special vested interest. And here's why that matters so much. Because what David goes on to say in the very next psalm, Psalm 24.1, is the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Everything you see the Lord owns, including you. And the reason this matters is because Jesus says, as a good shepherd, I own the sheep. And because I own the sheep, I quote, lay down my life for the sheep. John three sixteen, right? We referenced it earlier. For God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his son, Jesus, the good shepherd, to come and lay down his life for us. To say, listen to me very carefully, 
To say that God owns you is to say that God loves you. And he actually, listen to me, he loves you more than you love you. Do you realize that? God cares more about your life than you care about your life. In Psalm 56, listen to this, David was in a dark valley. His friends had turned their back on him. He was experiencing a lot of fear as literally people were trying to kill him. And here's what he says, Psalm 56, 8. You, God, have kept count of my tossings and you have put my tears in your bottle. This I know, he says in the very next verse, that God is for me. I know that some of you in here, you've had a hard life. You have suffered more in ways that I can ever imagine. You have cried a lot of tears. And listen, every single one of your tears, God is aware of and he has personally taken and put into his bottle. And one day, as we saw last week in Revelation 21, verse 4, it says that God will wipe away every tear from your eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. In other words, there's coming a day where all sad things are going to come untrue. Does the shepherd care for you? You better believe he cares for you. More than you could ever imagine. And so, to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say the Lord is my leader. He is my owner. Third, it is to say the Lord is my provider. Again, David says in verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I remember whenever uh, Jesus first broke into my life, I was 20 years old. Up to that point, I believe my joy 100% was determined by whether or not I had a girlfriend, whether or not I was popular, whether or not I had all of these different things in my life. And honest to God, when I first met the good shepherd, I could clearly say with integrity, as long as I have Jesus, I have everything that I need. And that lasted for about two weeks. Because what happens is the enemy quickly realizes what's going on in your heart, and he wants to plant the same lie into your heart that he did into Adam and Eve's. He's going to come at you constantly, and here's the main lie he is going to feed you. God cannot be trusted. God does not care for you. God is greedy. God is stingy. He will not give you everything that you need. That's the lie from the enemy. But the Bible says something much different than that. I think of Jesus' words in Matthew 6, He's talking to these people that are worried about what? Food, what they're going to wear. They're worried about the necessities of life. And Jesus looks at them. Here's what he says in Matthew 6, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all of these things that you need will be given to you. That's a promise. Just trust me. Just follow me, and you'll be taken care of. Again, this is David, Psalm 37, 23. He says, The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him. Though he may stumble, he will not fall. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. And listen to this. David says, I was young, now I'm old. So he's old, he's looking back on his life, and he says, here's what I've noticed. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging for bread. He says, God is always provided. There's so many more passages I can share, but here's just what I want you to say before I move on. Listen. God will not always give you what you want but he absolutely will always give you what you need. And some of you maybe hear that and you're like, wrong, because I asked God before for something I knew I needed and he didn't give it to me. Well, can I just humbly suggest to you that maybe what you think you need is not actually what you needed? You know, my kids think they need sugar with every meal. Could it possibly be that maybe we at times think we need something that really that if God would have given it to us, it would not have been good? 
Jesus says that God is a good father who only gives good gifts to his children. That means if you ask for a bad gift, he won't give you a bad gift because he's a good father. He's not going to give you something that he knows will harm you. Tim Keller says it like this. God always gives you what you would have asked for if you knew everything that he knows. God will always give you what you need. And some of you are like, well, if that's true, then why in the world do I feel like today that I was barely able to roll out of bed? Well, you were able to roll out of bed. Jared, I'm just hanging by a thread. But you're hanging by a thread. Jesus says, pray that God will give us our what? Daily bread. You obviously have your daily bread. God will not always give you what you want, but he will always give you what you need. He is not stingy. Paul says in Romans 8, 32, For he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not now also along with him graciously give us all things? He's already met your greatest need by giving you himself, by giving you his son Jesus so you can have access into his presence. If he will go to extreme lengths to give you what you need the most, He's not going to nickel and dime you to death. He is our provider. Fourth, to say the Lord is my shepherd is to say the Lord is my protector. One of the most famous stories from David's life is the story of what? David and Goliath. It's probably one of the, the greatest stories that we remember from Sunday school. It's phenomenal felt board material for those of you who grew up in the 90s. And if you remember the story, what happened? One day, David is tending to his sheep. He's not a king at this point. And his dad comes to him and says, David, stop messing with the sheep and go take this bread and cheese to your brothers. And while you're there on the battlefield, let me know how they're doing. So David goes to the battlefield, and what does he find? Israel was just like, they're terrified of this giant Goliath who's taunting them, who's defying God and defying Israel and saying, you're nothing, your God's nothing. If anybody wants, come and take me. See what you can do. But he's like, you're, you're, you're nothing. He's like, I'll kill all of you, right? And they believe it. They're just terrified. And David shows up and he's like, well, what are we doing here? I'm not going to let this guy defile my God. I ain't going to let him talk about God that way or about us that way. Like, I'm going to go take this chump down. And they're like, David, you're a small boy. He's a warrior champion. You're crazy. You can't do anything to Goliath. And here's what he says. This is 1 Samuel 17, 34. He says this. Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off a sheep from my flock, I went after it, I struck it, and I rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair. Or some translations say I seized it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Like, what a boss move. Who in here can say, like, I grabbed a lion or a bear by its hair and struck it down? Your servant, he's talking about himself, in the third person. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them. That's a low blow, right? No pun intended. An uncircumcised Philistine, right? Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine is going to be like one of them because he's defied the armies of the living God. The Lord, listen to this, who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. And then goes forward, kills him with a stone, cuts off his head just for good measure to be like, what's up now, right? Like, um, what is David saying? He's saying, because the Lord is my shepherd, I know the Lord is also my protector. And though clearly, listen, to say the Lord is my protector, protector let me be very clear, it does not mean God will not let bad things happen to you. 
What it does mean, however, is that he will make sure that you make it through every single one of those bad things. The Bible is very clear, and you've got to hear this, guys, like you will suffer as a Christian. Job 14.1, Job says, Mortals born of women are of few days and full of trouble. Jesus, picking up on this idea in John 16, says, In this life you will have many troubles. David, again, in Psalm 34, says, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord, listen to this, will deliver him from them all. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to deliver you from the greatest threat you could ever have. And the fact that he has come to deliver you from the grip, the power of Satan, sin, death, and hell. Just as David grabbed a lion by the hair and struck it down, Jesus, when he came out of the grave, he dragged death by its hair and he struck it down. He delivered a death blow to death. He's cut off the power of the scariest enemies we could never defeat on our own. And therefore, because that is true, when you believe the Lord is my protector, then you can, like David in Psalm 23, verse 4, say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Bring it on. Anything you want, world, I will make it through because Christ is with me. Finally, to say the Lord is my shepherd is also to say the Lord is my physician. One of the best books I have read on Psalm 23 is a book by Philip Keller, who is a literal shepherd, and he's a pastor. And here's what he says in his book. Sheep do not just take care of themselves, as some might suppose. They require more than any other class of livestock, endless attention and meticulous care. It is no accident that God has chosen to call a sheep. The behavior of sheep and human beings is similar in many ways. Our mass mind, our mob instincts, our fears and timidity, our stubbornness and stupidity, our perverse habits are all parallels of the profound importance. Yet, despite these adverse characteristics, Jesus is ever working on our behalf to ensure that we will benefit from his care. Again, sheep are vulnerable. Sheep are susceptible to sickness and disease. There are times where Jesus will rescue us from a ditch and we'll go right back into it. And here's the good news. Jesus is the physician who promises that no matter what wounds you've experienced or spiritual sickness called sin that you're living with right now, he can in fact bring healing to all of that. No matter how deep the wounds no matter how sick the sickness, no matter how deep the, 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 the sin that you have inside of you right now, we have a, a good shepherd whose name is Jesus. And with great gentleness and care, he can, in fact, bring healing to every single area of your life. In Isaiah chapter 53, and I'll go ahead and invite the band to come up. The prophet Isaiah, when when prophesying about this good shepherd, he says this. Listen to this, Isaiah 53, 3-6. He, speaking of Jesus, was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. Surely he has took up our pain. He has bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And the punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. 
Each, every single person in this room, we've all gone astray. We've all gone our own way. But the Lord has laid on him, Jesus, the good shepherd, the iniquity of us all.